My name is Frank. <laughs> I'm one of the pastors here at Potomac Hills. Uh, if you're new, please do stick around uh, for the fellowship lunch. Uh, please don't feel like you need to pay for it. We would love to just get the chance to know you. Uh, so do please come uh, and eat with us. Uh, if you're not new, please do look around. There are a number of new faces. Uh, please greet them. Uh, there are, in the, a group this size, there are folks that you just don't know well either. And so please do make it a point to uh, greet your brothers and sisters in Christ and to, to just get to, know, uh, get to know some folks that you don't know as well. Uh, and if you're new or haven't been paying attention or just whatever, right, uh, we've been going through a series about biblical priorities this summer, uh, looking at the many firsts of the Bible, like uh, seek first, ask first, listen first. And this morning we have first understand, understand first. And so please turn in your Bibles uh, to J Daniel chapter 10. We'll be reading verses uh, 1 through 14, focusing on uh, verse 12. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed. I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Let's pray. Father God, as we come this morning, we need to learn about you. We need to understand some things about you, and Lord, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts and open our ears that we might hear from you, that we might hear from your word and understand this great reality of who you are and who we are and what you have done for us. And so, Lord, as we look at your word, we ask that you would 
point us to your son and to your gospel, that your son would be uh, glorious and majestic before us, that we might understand who he is and what he has done. And so, Lord, we ask that you would show us, Jesus, that you would come and change us by your gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how many of you, it's been a while since I've done a movie reference to start. So, movie time. Who has seen The Matrix? Hands? Good. Oh, that's a lot more than I thought. Fantastic. So, uh, the movie, if you haven't seen it, is a, uh, about the titanic clash between humanity and sentient machines who have turned against us, right? Of course, man versus machine. And the machines have been winning, and they have used virtual reality to imprison humans within a dream world called the Matrix. And so, uh, so that they can sort of transform these uh, humans into living uh, energy sources for the machines to sort of utilize, turning them into a human battery, if you will. Now, the movie centers around the character of Neo, right? Neo, a human who has been liberated from the grasp of the Matrix by the last remaining free humans who are fighting a resistance action against the machines, right? Morpheus shows up and, and uh, sort of liberates Neo. Now, Neo is prophesied to be the one, the one to deliver them, deliver humans from the, the machines. And when he's liberated from a lifetime in the matrix, Neo is confronted with a new reality. That sort of wonderful scene where Morpheus begins to, under, to explain what he's actually gotten himself into. And before the resistance fighters can really see Neo become the one, they have, he has to understand a lot of things. A lot of things like Kung Fu and how to, you know, fight, how to fly a helicopter and f fire a weapon. There's a lot of things that Neo has to download into his brain that he needs to understand so that he'll have the tools to go out and bring the fight to the machines. But before he can really bring the fight to the machines, before he can even utilize all the Kung Fu that he has now learned, he needs to learn about the reality in which he is now fighting. He has to understand the grand scheme of the war that he's stepping into, and he needs to understand his role, his very specific role. And the movie really turns on Neo coming to grips with who he is and his role and what he is to do. And so in many ways, it's exactly what we get here in Daniel chapter 10. You see, in verses 1 and 2, we get the context of what Daniel's going through. At this point in history, the Israelites have been in exile for a while. They're in Persian exile away from uh, the promised land. But this is also the third year of Cyrus's reign, which would put us about two to three years after Cyrus's decree to allow the first wave of Israelites to return to Jerusalem in the Promised Land. And unfortunately, things are not going as expected. While the people are back in the land to a certain extent and have been able to set up an altar to the Lord, stiff opposition has arisen against their rebuilding of the temple and the city walls. And basically, this opposition has stopped work altogether. And it would be another 20 plus years from Cyrus's decree before the temple's completion as recorded in the book of Ezra. 
And it would be even longer after that before the city walls are restored under the direction of Nehemiah. And so two to three years in, which is where we get Daniel, there's just frustration, sadness, worry, and anxiety. The people in Jerusalem face enemies on all sides with seemingly no way forward. And for Daniel, he's in high office at this point. He's one of three satraps over the whole kingdom of Cyrus. In solidarity with his kinsmen in Jerusalem, Daniel has undertaken a period of selective fasting and asceticism. Basically, he's committed to living like his brethren who are suffering in Jerusalem without all the comforts that have come with the wealth and power that are at his disposal. And he's doing this because he's struggling with his reality. He's not understanding what's going on. This wrestling and tension carries on for three weeks, and then the Lord helps him understand what is truly going on and what his role is going to be. And so those two ideas are going to shape our time this morning. What does Daniel need to understand about the reality that he's living in? And two, what is Daniel's role in light of that reality? What does Daniel need to understand about reality? And what is Daniel's role in light of that reality? And so Daniel needs to understand three things. He needs to understand that there is a great uh, conflict occurring, that the true enemy is very powerful, and that three, God is in control throughout. So first, the great conflict. Daniel needs to understand that a great conflict is occurring. That's in verse 1, where the word he received was, out, was about a great conflict. And why is that? Wouldn't he know if there was a great conflict occurring? After all, he's like second in a command, essentially, over the kingdom. Well, you see, Daniel was living in peacetime. The Persian Empire was coming into the height of its power. Uh, things were pretty quiet at this point on a national level, at least for the Israelites. They were solidly within the Persian Empire, and there wasn't really another superpower to challenge them or threaten them. And while there was opposition to the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem's wall, that hadn't really broken out into out-and-out -out violence quite yet. And while we know that the great conflict is between the forces of God and the forces of evil, we don't often live as if there is a great conflict being waged around us. Most of the time, we dismiss spiritual warfare for two reasons. The first is that we simply can't see it. There are no guns blazing, missiles exploding around us, though there are in other parts of the world. We aren't getting arrested for going to church, though that's happening in other parts of the world. But it's still happening. Spiritual warfare is definitely happening, and we ought to take it seriously. Why? Because God takes it seriously. Why else would we get Paul's exhortation to be equipped for spiritual uh, conflict with spiritual armor? Why else would the apostles consistently warn the early church about Satan, the great deceiver and a prowling lion who seeks to devour? It's happening. The second reason why we dismiss spiritual warfare ties with the first. We dismiss it because we're sinfully focused on this world. We think that we're just having a run of bad luck or downplay the spiritual warfare aspect of things because we don't want to be seen as those people, those really super religious people that see demons around every corner. Idolatry and sin often blind us to spiritual truths. 
And so it's not surprising that Daniel needs to hear this to come to grips with the fact that spiritual warfare is happening. And we need to hear it too. And we ought to take it seriously for no other reason than the second thing that he needs to understand, which is that the enemy is quite powerful. Look with me at verse 13. There the prince of the kingdom of Persia, the captain of Satan's forces in that area of the world, delayed this terrifying vision of a man that Daniel saw. Now, the identity of this man is hotly debated. Some think that it's the pre-incarnate Christ. Others think that it's merely an angel or one of the cherubim. And I tend to think that it's probably not the pre-incarnate Christ, simply because I don't think that Jesus could be delayed for three weeks and need the help of Michael to overcome this captain of Satan. But even though I don't think that it's Jesus, the man that Daniel sees is still wildly amazing. This heavenly being had great glory and holiness far beyond what we could possibly speak of. Daniel. Daniel's a man of immense spiritual strength and faith. Remember, this is the same Daniel that gets cast into the lion's den. This is a man of no, like, considerable faith. And what happens to Daniel? He ends up on his face in the ground without any strength. Right? And, and the, the scripture describes him as having a, a regal radiance about him. And even this man of great strength and faith ends up in the dirt. And all of this is to say that this conflict is no cakewalk. The enemy is powerful, resisting even this glorious and holy heavenly being for three weeks. And so Daniel needs to take the powers and principalities of Satan very seriously. But despite the power arrayed against Daniel and the people of God, notice that the messenger is merely delayed, right? This heavenly being has come to encourage Daniel to help him understand what is going on, and all the forces of evil cannot prevent what God wants to happen. It merely delays. And so in verse 14, this vision of a man told Daniel what is going to happen to the people in the future in the latter days. In chapters uh, 11 through 12, the the following chapters, sort of the the vision is sort of expounded on about what's going to happen. And there this heavenly being is going to go through the rise and fall of many, many kingdoms. Kings will be crowned and then dethroned. Empires will come to power and then collapse. And the peoples of the earth will be caught in the middle of all of this upheaval. And behind all of this change, all of this chaos, there's the spiritual battle raging. And yet God is in control throughout. He knows which great nations, kingdoms, and empires of the world will come and which one will go. What will cause all of it? God is not surprised when the world order changes dramatically, when the balance of political power shifts here and there, because he's the one directing those changes in the first place. And in both the earthly and spiritual realms, the conflict between God and Satan is never out of God's control. Really, Satan and the powers of evil never had a chance to from the beginning. And through it all, God's glory, power, might, justice, and mercy is displayed at every level. And at the end, God, unsurprisingly, will win. 
So thumb over to Dan the end of Daniel chapter 12. At the very last verse of the whole book of Daniel is chapter 12, verse 13. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. So think about that. Throughout the chaos of the rise and fall of great kingdoms and empires, throughout all the warfare, the suffering, conflict, and even the attacks of the evil one against God's people, who's left standing? God's people. And what shall be said of them? They shall be standing in God's presence and they shall rest. Amen. Do you see in this verse the picture of that final day when we are allotted our place at the right hand of the throne of Jesus as God's sheep? That we are not one of the goats. Do you see the rest and glory that comes to God's people in Christ Jesus? For in Christ we have every spiritual blessing and have been made co-heirs with him that we might be called the children of God. God is in control throughout. Most of us here would affirm that. Like, okay, Frank, what's new? So for us and for Daniel, what is the reality that Daniel needs to understand? First, that there's a great conflict. Second, that the enemy is powerful. Third, that God is in control. But what does that mean for his life moving forward? What is the sort of takeaway from this sermon via a vision for Daniel? What is Daniel's role in this great conflict that God is telling him about? And I think in light of the magnitude of the spiritual conflict and God's control over all of it, Daniel's role is simply to trust God, to trust in him. And while that might sound sort of glib or simplistic, what I mean is that Daniel's role isn't to worry about the future or what's going to happen if this or that issue that he thinks is going sideways, what's going to happen when, that, when these decisions or these legislations or these outcomes or whatever, when something doesn't go the way that he thinks it ought to. His role isn't to direct the affairs of this world. That's God's job. Rather, his role is to be faithful in the present. His role is to pray, to do the good work set before him, and to be faithful more than anything else. Now, why do I say this? Why do I say that his role is to just trust in God? I say this because the Lord doesn't call him to anything else. What Daniel needs to understand is what God is doing, not what Daniel is to do. Look with me at the words of the heavenly being in verses 11 and 12 in chapter 10. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. That's first listen from last week. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for, the first, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before the Lord your God. Your words have been heard and have come because of your words. And so all Daniel is to do is stand, listen, and be humble. God's answer to Daniel's distress at having enemies all around him, seeing the momentum of restoration stalled and at being, at being in exile, God's response, God's answer to all of those feelings is to tell him to stand, listen, and be humble. Why? 
Because what Daniel in his distress needs to hear more than anything else is that he belongs to a big God and that God is in control. Friends, do you see that there's actually a subtle idolatry here that God is pushing back on? When we ask God for answers, for understanding, we often do so because, not because we want to know what he's doing, but because we don't like living in the tension of trying to be faithful amid a sinful and crooked generation. When we pray while in tension, it tends to go something like this. Lord, I don't get what you're doing. Could you help me see what you're doing? I just want this situation to be resolved in righteousness, for this sin to be taken away or for this conflict to end. I want this evil to go away. I need you to show up, Lord. Please help me. Or it's, Lord, we know that you see this situation that is clearly not good. We pray that you would bring about change and righteousness. So it's on and on. Do you see how we're asking for solutions rather than for perspective and strength to remain faithful among the lost? Do you see the difference between God's answer and what we want God's answer to be? And we ask for this because we know, because if we know and understand what God is doing, then there's no need for trust. We would know like it's all under control, rather than having to trust that it is. But whose control is it? Ultimately, we're looking for things to feel under our control. And I'm not saying that we can't ask the Lord for solutions. We should. But I'm saying that we often do so because of idolatrous, selfish reasons, rather than a desire for righteousness to abound. Or that it's a mix of both. There's the danger that the Lord there's a danger that the Lord is opening Daniel's eyes to. That we ask so that we can be comfortable rather than asking for God's will. And to that the Lord says, Hey, don't worry about how things are gonna go in the future or where things are headed. That's my job. I'll get you where you need to be. Trust me with your life, with your loved ones, with your country, with your legacy, your future, with your everything. And the funny thing is we often take scriptures out of context in order to justify this asking to understand or know. For instance, when I think about asking the Lord for help and understanding for what's going going on around me, I often ask the Lord to light my path so I can see where I'm going. Right? And I take that straight from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Right? I want to know where I'm going, so I want to have that light on that path right there. I want to know the path before me. But what's really interesting is that a lamp rarely illuminates the whole path to the destination. Rather, a lamp only illuminates the immediate surroundings, the part of the path that I'm currently on. The rest of the verses in that stanza of Psalm 119, which is super, super long, right, puts the focus on the present, not the future. The psalmist asked the Lord to teach him the commandments and to keep him focused on the Lord's precepts. And if we take a moment to think about commandments, they're not really to talk about future obedience, but rather present obedience 
that extends into the future as we consistently perform them, perform them in every present moment leading to that future. We're simply to follow the path of God wherever it takes us. If we want to know about the path, we can turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Did you hear what we're called to do at the beginning of those verses? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding, which is basically God's way of saying, hey, trust me. Don't think about where you're going. Think about what I'm doing right now, and I will take you there. God is the one who will take us to the, de to the destination. We are to trust in him about the path, and so we're not to be concerned with how the path gets us there, but whether or not we're walking faithfully on the path right now. In this area, this DC metro area, we often get caught up in national affairs, the rise and fall of kingdoms, power blocks, and the drift of the overall culture of the nation. I can only speak for myself, but I often get discouraged and wrapped around the axle as I look out on our present reality. But the message to Daniel is what I need to hear that God is in control and I am not. My call is not to worry about things that are far beyond my scope to influence. My call is to be faithful to what the Lord has called me to in the present, not to worry so much about where this is all headed. And yet at the same time, Daniel's call to faithful walking in the present is also placed within the context of his significant and important role, something that he's to do. Did you notice that this whole thing, this whole word and vision comes to Daniel after he prays? Did you notice that it is at the prayer of Daniel that this heavenly being is dispatched to encourage him? Did you notice that the messenger comes three weeks late and that Daniel has been praying for the same amount of time? Daniel does something great when he prays. Through the power of his prayer, the forces of heaven are moved to care for him. God dispatches this great and powerful heavenly being at Daniel's prayer. And so twice in verses 10 and 19, Daniel is called a man greatly loved. Friends, we have a significant and important role to play in this conflict, not because we are powerful, but because of who we are. We are greatly loved by God Almighty. He has sent his forces out for our sake to encourage us to strengthen us and to sanctify us. And so do you hear the seeds of the gospel? Do you see that this great conflict will find its climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Do you see that the Lord is moving in this world for those whom he greatly loves? And so in the gospel, God doesn't send a terrifying vision of a man to encourage us and strengthen us in the tr uh, to trust in the Lord. No, he sends his son to save us because we cannot trust in him, because we will not trust in him, because he must take us and change us and transform us so that we might trust in him. It is at the cross and the resurrection where our faith is turned into sight, at the cross and the resurrection where we see where our trust in the Lord leads. It leads us to see God himself willingly and joyfully taking upon himself the weight and sin of our judgment. 
it leads us to see God himself conquering death and rising in glorious resurrection life. It leads us to see that this was always the plan, the end point of the path. And through all the twists and turns, the stops and start throughout Israel's history, this is where it leads to the cross and to the resurrection. And it is there that we will stand in our allotted place, as Daniel 12 tells us. That place is at the right hand of the throne of God, which is seen in his resurrection and on his cross. To his cross is where we run. To his resurrection is where we run. Why? Because we have been made one with him, standing and resting as co-heirs with Christ. And so what is our reality? On this side of Christ, what do we need to understand? Well, much the same things that Daniel did. First, that there's still a great conflict going on. Paul describes the conflict in Romans 7. I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. We see the struggle between the forces of God and the forces of Satan all the time. Why? Because we can see it in ourselves. The second thing that the enemy is still powerful. Even Paul, one of the greatest missionaries of all time, the, an apostle who has been given surpassing revelations of the gospel and of Jesus, even Paul struggles with the enemy of his own sinful nature. Listen to his lament in the very next verse in Romans chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Such is the power arrayed against us. But what is different between us and Daniel is that we are not left to remember a vision of glory and of holiness. Rather, we have been united to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the third person of the Trinity lives within me. Remember that I have been crucified with Christ and it is not I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And so this means that I'm able to trust the Lord far better than Daniel ever could. Why? Because I see far better. Because I have seen the crucified Christ who dwells within me. And it is him who lives within me and not myself. I can see that he has died for me on the cross and he's right there, always with me. That's what's different. God's still in control, of course, but I can see that control far better now. Why? Because I have Christ living within me. And so what is our role? Daniel's role was to stand, listen, and be humble. He was to stand in faithfulness, understanding that the Lord was going to direct his path. In a lot of ways, we're in the same boat. Stand, listen, be humble and faithful. Focus on the present. Understand that the Lord is going to direct our path. But we have just a little bit of a different mission. Why? Because we've been given a commission. We are to make disciples by being witnesses to Jesus. And this means a full-bodied, full-person witness that captures all of Jesus' priorities, cares, and concerns. And how can we be that witness? How can we do that? Well, we're able to do that in the same way that Daniel was enabled to walk in faithfulness in his presence through prayer. Friends, we live in a world with a lot of tension. With social media and our phones, we have an unprecedented ability to see people sin around us. With the fast-paced news cycle, 
We have an unprecedented ability to keep track of national trends and the worrying drifts in a myriad of areas, to see the rise and fall of kingdoms, and to feel like we can do something about it. Consequently, we're often, we often feel like Daniel did, discouraged, worried, and surrounded. And so what should we do? We should pray. When we pray, what happens? When we pray, it's not so much about what we do, but what God does. The focus is shifted from what should I do to, Lord, what are you doing? When we pray, we are reminded that God is in control, which is especially good when we think we've got under control, everything under control. When we think we've got it, it's especially good to pray. And also when we think we don't got it, it's especially good to pray. When we pray, we're reminded that we are greatly loved. When we pray, we are reminded that we are heard, that our anxieties, our worries, and our cares do not fall on deaf and uncaring ears. And finally, praying reminds us that we are able to be faithful in the midst of the tension because the Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus lived with a far greater tension than we did and he loved us well while we were yet his enemies. And we have his Holy Spirit living within us. And so let us faithfully step into the world of sinners and be like Christ, that we might proclaim the good news of his gospel to the lost, which is exactly what he did for us. We, school's, school's in, okay, just school's in. God's word never returns void. We heard that last week. But always accomplishes its purpose, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So let us be a praying people that seeks to do and be faithful to what the Lord has set before us in the present, trusting in the Lord for all things. Do you want to see the Lord fighting in the great conflict? Do you want to see him move? Spend some time with sinners and pray for them. You'll see them move. And as you minister, you'll come to a deeper understanding of what God is doing, namely making you more like him. Friends, let us trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, let us acknowledge him, and he is the one that will make our path straight. Let us be faithful people in the present. Let's pray. Father God, there are so many things that we would like to see changed in this world. We see sinfulness, we see idolatry, we see hate and anger, we see injustice, and that's just within our own hearts. Lord, we are a mess. And yet you call us to walk in faithfulness, knowing that you are in control, not only in the great things of this world, of the comings and goings of nations and principalities and kingdoms, but also you are in control of us. That we belong body and soul in life and in death to you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help our unbelief. That you would help us 
trust in you, that you would help us be focused upon you and not ourselves or our surroundings. Help us see that you are a great big God and that you are in control. And that most of all, that you love us beyond what we could possibly imagine that you have sent your son to die for us. Show us Jesus. Show us the greatness of your gospel. Show us the greatness of the salvation that we have in you, that we might trust in you for all things. Lord, we love to lean on our own understanding. Lord, change us and transform us to trust in you instead. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.